0: is not the small print of the gospel this is not some hidden message in the scripture jesus made it very clear that a decision to follow was a decision to die to surrender everything to him and so jesus turns to the crowd and he turns to you and me and he asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives are you a fan or a follower
1: glad to be here. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's exciting, and I, we've already mentioned it, Haley, thank you, but I just I just got to say a minute, I, I'm so excited about what the Lord's doing in our worship ministry right now. But we've got several songwriters. Greg's written some great ones. Bernie just wrote that new one. We just, we got so pumped up in here in our Wednesday night practice going, oh my goodness, I can't wait till Sunday. This is such an amazing song, and just the awareness of God gives us the strength to keep praying, and as we trust Him, He just keeps raining blessings Amen. down on us, on and on. And those girls, oh my goodness, <laughs> just excited about all the people the Lord is bringing here and the new talent, and we're we'll gonna be adding some new ones to the to the mix up here very soon too. Just excited. Let's read it together. Find one of the screens if you're comfortable reading. Matthew chapter 11, three verses, 28 through 30. Here we go. Come to me. blood of your uniquely begotten son Jesus. I just ask you right now that as we focus our hearts and our attention on you and on the gospel and what it means to be a true follower of Christ today and not just be a fan. Holy Spirit that you would move in our midst and that you would speak to our hearts and teach us and draw us. I just want to say to you Lord and to everybody hearing that I cannot do anything apart from you. Lord without you I'm nothing. God, I'm thankful this morning that I'm not without you, and that with you I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I pray for the helper, the counselor, the advocate, the teacher, the Holy Spirit, the only real teacher, that you would move and speak. Let the voice within my voice today penetrate every situation, break down every wall, every barrier. Lord, that you would move and touch and heal and minister to the circumstances that are uniquely each individual person's in this room. You have alone the ability to take these words that I'm generally speaking to this church and you can make them, custom fit them to every individual person in this room to speak to them. And we pray for that today in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of God. Kyle Eidelman wrote a great book that we're closing in on this series Today. It's called Not a Fan, subtitled Completely Committed Follower of Jesus Christ. I was at the beach in July. We'd already had some things planned in terms of series. And in the middle of reading this book, matter of fact, I'll just give credit where credit's due. Pastor Haley, our children's pastor, had sent this one with me, given me a copy that she bought herself, and she said, I've read this. I think you'll enjoy it. And so I took with me about five books on vacation to, to read because we, we catch some movies, we cook, we spend a lot of time at the beach, we do maybe one day of shopping, just have a great time down in the Destin area down there. And I get up way before everybody else because I'm, I'm, I'm getting to be an older guy. I'm 51, and I'm at that age where, whether the alarm clock goes off or not, I'm, my eyes are going to pop, pop open about 4.55 in the morning, sometimes 4.30, 5 o'clock, five. If I've had a really hard day the day before, maybe a few minutes extra. And so I'm up and making coffee and trying to be as quiet as possible for Dawn and for Abby and her guests that went with us to Florida. And um, I'm reading the scripture every day and just praying and asking God for refreshing and giving me vision and hope and just understanding what his purpose is for this church for the future. And the day that I popped this book open and started reading, I immediately began to sense the touch of the Holy Spirit. There would be moments when I would just sit there and I would find myself just a tear rolling down my cheek, going, God, help us, help us as the people of God to communicate to the Delta. Because there's a certain idea that's prevalent about what Christianity is here. And and, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm pointing fingers or blaming any group or any denomination that that I'm Christian bashing today. But we've blown it in some ways. And we've blown it in the, this idea this morning that I want to speak to. And the best way I'm to tell it is to tell you a story. I had this same thing happen that he tells the story of in high school where there was a young girl who at 15 comes to church and she's already starting to show. She's made some bad decisions. And in order to make a boyfriend happy, she obviously decides to have a sexual relationship with him and she ends up pregnant. And she comes to church and he tells the story that brings tears to my eyes because I remember this happening when I was in high school. And if any of you in here this morning really are honest, you probably remember a couple of situations where this happened to friends of yours. And you know what? Maybe they're here sitting here that it happened to. And so if what I tell is too close to the script that you've lived, then I'm not in any way trying to make anyone uncomfortable, but I want you to know that the reality of this happens still today in 2012. 30 years ago, this young lady was 15 years old, and she goes back to the church where she's grown up, and instead of being embraced and loved and comforted and strengthened and the women of the church gathering around her What she saw the first time she came back, after having had to fight the shame, being out for several months, and the word getting to her, and then the parents hearing about it, and them wrestling with how they're going to deal with the circumstance, and obviously carrying the baby to term, no question about any kind of abortion, about inconveniencing them. This is a life. This is the blessing of God. Even in spite of the way that it has come, it's, it's the blessing of the Lord the family had come to grips with that and she comes back to church for the first time and seated within an earshot of her and a few pews away when she walks by, one lady says in an overdone whispering tone, not truly whispering, whispering that it sounds like whispering, but it's loud enough that anybody in earshot could hear it. One lady taps another one on the shoulder and says, Some years later, Kyle friends her again as a high school classmate on Facebook, and he just happens to look under the section of About, where people tell what their political affiliations are and whether or not they have any religious persuasion or if they're a Christ follower or anything else for that matter. And she has on her Facebook a quote that is in your notes this morning that comes from The famous leader who actually led India out from under the tyrannical rule of the British Empire. India was led out of slavery by the peaceful resistance led by this little fellow by the name of Gandhi. And in your notes it says this. Gandhi says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And, and uh, you know, there's something on the inside of every one of us that hears that quote, and, and, and you know exactly that the truth of that is just raw. It is reality. It is something that you probably in the room, every one of us, have probably experienced the rejection or the mean girl comments that have been said. And it's not just girls who do that. Sometimes, sometimes guys can act like mean girls. And, and when I think about these circumstances and how the, this young lady who was pregnant at 15 and she's rejected by the people who absolutely who are holding placards and shouting pro-life and all of this, and then we are rejecting people at the door that we should be loving and actually helping them carry their babies to term so they don't abort their babies, don't shout me down this morning. But in the middle of all of this, holier than thou, better than kind of an attitude of Christianity. I remember a story. Now, I remember a story in John chapter 8 where Jesus is teaching. And he'd obviously already gained some degree of notoriety, and the publicity of his ministry was being noised abroad, is what one translation says in the book of Mark. People had heard that when he preaches, he speaks with authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees preach or teach. And they said that, you know, it's amazing that when he preaches this good news, we've never heard anything like this before, he's preaching gospel to the poor, and opening of sight to the blind, and setting at liberty them that are bruised, and and, and releasing of the captives, and those that are bound, and all of these things, he says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed him to do, and what is amazing is it's not just empty words, when he preaches it happens, blind eyes open, and deaf ears unstop, and dumb tongues speak, and crippled people walk, and There are even testimonies that we've heard about of some folks that have gotten up off of their deathbeds, and so this guy is drawing a crowd, and he has the commandment, he has their attention, and he's in the middle of speaking one day, and he hears a scuffling, kind of a kerfluffle among the crowd, and all of a sudden the thing gets worse, and it gets louder, and people are being pushed around, and there's some very angry, religious-looking people. Oh, yes, they're Pharisees. I see by the way they're dressed and by the way they're acting. And riding on the crest of the wave of this angry mob at the head of that crowd is there's a woman who's barely keeping herself covered with a bed sheet. And in John chapter 8, the story is told about a woman who had broken the rules. She'd made some bad decisions, and she had been caught breaking the rules. She was caught in the act of... Of adultery and she's trying to sort out what in the world is going to happen here and the fact that she knows she's broken the rules and the fact that this time may cost her her life because these people are angry and they're carrying stones and she is familiar with the Jewish law. And they come approaching Jesus and Jesus stops and looks and with an intense gaze, the piercing eyes of the Father looking through him, he looks into the eyes of these angry religious people. The people explain what has happened. The woman is head bowed, guilty, ashamed, broken, humiliated. Clenched fists, anger, religious intensity and passion that's driven by something that is not godly has got this crowd whipped up into a fury and they are declaring that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, mind you, they didn't bring the guy that she obviously had to be doing the deed with. Forgive my crass remembrance reminding you of the fact that it's not just it takes two but the guy's left, more than likely he's probably a buddy to some of these people but they bring the poor woman and she's humiliated and pushed and bullied and shoved Jesus responds to this because they're pressing him, It's this is how rule keepers do, they think they're going to use some rules and manipulate them and use them to put Jesus in a trap And Jesus knows their thoughts before he speaks anything. And instead of saying anything, he just stoops down. And with the very finger of God, he starts to write into the sand around them. And he continues, and the crowd is quiet, wondering what this amazing teacher is going to say. This woman's life is on the line. She's clearly guilty. She's weeping and crying naked, covered, barely keeping her nakedness covered with the sheet. The Pharisees and the the religious legalists are grumbling, going, what are you going to do? And Jesus just continues to write. Hit the pause button there. I'm going to let Jesus write for a few moments. This is what happens when we become bound and overemphasizing rules. This is what happens when we are so legally driven when we are so law conscious with everything that we do these folks were going to use rules to trap jesus and let me just say this this is what rules do to us no 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 don't 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 be too literal about it. it it does not produce an angry mob that parades sinners through town we don't do that but we rather gather gather in quiet huddles share whispers that really is just kind of a gossip and we drop names of those that have been caught in various acts that we know that have broken the rules And let me just say this to you God's word is a word of guidance and it is filled with commandments but none of us in this room can give the testimony that we have at any time ever perfectly obeyed them. Let me stand at the head of the line and tell you, That when I say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I am part of that universal all. I have broken the law of God. When we overemphasize the rules, people start to think that the the ones who are emphasizing the rules constantly, that is our whole approach, that is our whole emphasis, it's always about the legal code, the moral code, In more churches than not today in America, it is this idea of such an overemphasis on the law of God and the guilt that is upon us on a regular and a consistent basis that people start to think that the people that are in the pulpit have it all figured out, and if they've got it all figured out, they're really perfect, and it creates a closed atmosphere where people feel like they can't really share what they're struggling with. Because the pastor in the pulpit... And the elders or the deacons or the associate or the minister of worship who's sitting in those throne chairs on that podium, on that platform, on that stage, all look right. It looks like they've got their ducks in a row. Their families are all here sitting up looking good, hair parted correctly, in the right place they act appropriately in public and they have good reputations. And so they must have it all figured out And because these people are perfect. There's no way I could go into that church and actually truly be myself because if they had any idea of the stuff that I struggle with, they wouldn't let me stay here. So I better keep my mouth shut. I better not let anybody know the kind of struggles that I have because those people on the platform are perfect that very thing that I want to address for just a few moments with you this morning. Sometimes Christians act a lot more like the Pharisees and the religious leaders than they act like the Messiah, and we use rules too often to rationalize how we're going to treat the newcomers that walk through the door. People that that are gripped with addictive patterns of behavior that are so obvious that you can just about trip over them. They've made bad choices, and they're showing, they're carrying the fruit the, 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 the expectation of having sown bad seed. And they're walking into this place hoping that this church in the mall might be different than the way they've been treated in some other places. Wow. And I really don't believe, I truly don't believe that anybody in any place, unless anybody think that I think we've got it going on and you think I'm talking about anybody else, we can just as easily, you can become a Pharisee in 30 seconds. People don't intend it. It's unintentional. I believe it's really by well-meaning people who say, well, we have to keep the standard high. You know what? We really want to make sure that we raise the bar of excellence at victory. And in the process of doing that, we end up making it hard for people to come to God just to meet Jesus. We want them to come to God, but we basically say if you'll be willing to come through all of these rules, not just the rules that God said, but all the other ones that we've tacked on. Because we really want to make sure that you're serious about it. And if you really do mean it and you show us that you mean it, then we'll let you be a part of this group. That's the; Those are the unspoken words, but that's the atmosphere that prevails in so many of what we call southern churchianity. And I'm going to tell you something. This frustrates new believers beyond all description believe if it's possible that it frustrates the grace of God even in your life. My first point this morning, number one, rules can be cumbersome. Say it with me. Rules can be cumbersome. I was on staff at a growing church in North Carolina. That local church had a phenomenal music ministry. I was the minister of worship. We had a 60 voice choir, 17 pieces in the band, wrote parts for brass and we had, this was 25 years ago, and we were doing the whole Chicago, a little bit of earth, wind, and fire kind of thing. <laughs> Hundreds of people gathering, churches growing, and we got the, bang, you know, the whole brass thing happening. And that's my dream. I just want to tell you. If you think this is something, let us get out there on that building and we add some room where we can put about 60 voices. At least 40 of them need to be black, and I'm serious when I say that. Growing this thing up, I'm teaching in the school, I'm teaching the music program, I've got these little kindergartners and first graders playing the recorder, and they're learning how to read music, and, and we, we've got this great thing going, they're, they're playing for the school, and i got a feeder system built where I can actually train these kids on this level, and they start to advance and come up to the senior service, and it's just happening, and God blesses my ministry, and we start going all up and down the east coast doing consultant work in what was literally the praise and worship movement of the 80s let me just say this, what we do here, I was doing 30 years ago, and it was on the edge. What we do here now has become mainstream, because everybody is seeing that it's an amazing thing that people are looking for flow of the Spirit of God and the presence of God in worship that is free and not just dead, dry, and cold, and stayed. And let me just say this, in case you think I'm talking about hymns, hymns are the most important deposit of the theology of god and I, and I i for a while there i thought it was the hymns that were dead and i realized it's not the hymn that was dead it was the singers that were singing them that were dead and, and so we try to go back it's like abby opened last sunday with the chorus of great is thy faithfulness and we, we try to inject a little bit of fresh sound to it so that whole thing's going on and it's it's growing and i'm part of this christian school and as a good christian school does they have rules there are a lot of rules. I mean, a lot of rules. I mean, it's it's the boys had to wear collared shirts, and girls had to wear skirts that were not more than two inches above their knees, and the boys' hair couldn't touch their collars, and it was all about being clean-shaven. And I remember one day when one boy had to go back home because he was trying to do the whole Don Johnson thing 30 years ago. He's probably 16, 17 years old. Go home and shave, and you come back. I remember a young man who got sent home one day because – the lady who was monitoring the rules and the skirts and the shirts and the hair length of the boy's hair that was touching the collar, go get a haircut and then you come back to school. Is there anything wrong with that? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think schools need to have order. Families have to have rules. Schools have to have rules. Churches have to have rules. I'm not preaching against rules. It's just the way we have viewed them and the, the idea that we have let it become part of The definition of Christianity, that being a Christian means you're a rule keeper. Not against rules. We have rules in our family. I will not let my children talk disrespectfully to their mother. I'll get involved. And and, and I'll get involved in a way that might not please them sometimes. Because I believe that's what fathers and mothers and children who are trying to create an atmosphere. We want to build an environment. We're trying to build an environment here at Victory where it's a, co- a complete, constant atmosphere of grace where people don't have to play games and keep their cards slid up their sleeves because and play close to the vest, so to speak, because they're afraid if anybody finds out what they're really struggling with, that they won't be accepted. And unless you can open the door to your closet and let the light of God shine into it, you can't ever really be set free. Wow. And it's a lie of the devil. But I just don't think anybody would really have anything to do with me if they knew what I struggled with. Let me just tell you, this is the perfect place for imperfect people. And I'm, I'm, I give credit. That's, that's the, that is that's the tagline for High Point. I, I love it. I wish that I would have thought of it first. And I, I, I give him credit when I say it. But that's so true for what God is doing in the people here at Victory Church. It is. You don't have to be perfect to show up in this place. God loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you in that place. Come on, somebody say amen. And we've got all kinds of rules. And again, let me just say this. There is nothing wrong with families having expectations. There's nothing wrong with schools having order and discipline. Somewhere along the line, it got communicated to these kids, and lots of these kids associated these rules not with going to school, but they thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. And somewhere, it got communicated, maybe not intentionally, but that was the idea. And what broke my heart is that when I saw some of these kids graduate, and then we left there and moved here in 1989 to found this church and plant it and and see God raise it up out of the ground. And we had a vision for an atmosphere of victory to be birthed in this place. I stayed in touch with and talked to some of those kids, and it broke my heart when many of them graduated high school. They walked away, not just from the school and the church, but from Christianity because they were exhausted. They didn't understand that was just proper for a good atmosphere of order in a local school, but they associated it incorrectly with the idea of being a Jesus follower. It's all this rule keeping. If you break one, you're out. They were exhausted. Jesus is dealing with the religious leaders in this moment. I hadn't forgotten the story. He's been writing while I've been catching you up on this rule. So Jesus has continued to write, and they're starting to grumble, what's it going to be, teacher? Jesus, after he finishes writing... He stands up and with the gaze of God piercing down into the very soul of those men that were accusing, points to the ground the contents of what he had written. We don't know. We can only speculate. Some say that he possibly wrote the sins of the guys carrying the bag of rocks. I don't know that it has to be that specific, though I believe Jesus had the ability to do that. He is omniscient. He is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel. He is. All that God is in a human body. He's walking around and he knows the thoughts of people and he speaks to that many times when he's ministering to circumstances and especially religious leaders. Have you ever noticed when you've read the New Testament that it never was the sinners who gave Jesus the problem? It was always the church folk of the day. It's so easy for us to sit in the, 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 the comfortable chair this morning and point at those Jewish zealots, those Pharisees those religious leaders the lawyers the scribes of the Torah and we can think man they really messed it up and or, or you know you might even be able to think a little bit out of the box and you don't just think in terms of those guys back then but you think man those Baptist folk really are or man those Pentecostal people or or maybe you're not even thinking of us or maybe thinking I sure wish so-and-so was here today because God knows she needs to hear this <laughs> if we can put all of that aside not be pharisaical about the pharisees ourselves not be pharisaical about any of our denominational brothers and sisters or think that we are the hot stuff because we are a quote non-denominational church Because let me tell you you can get pharisaical about what what we're doing in here just as matter of fact probably a little quicker and start to think start to look down a holier than thou knows not only at sin sinners but other christians and thinking that we're better than him. god does Whether Jesus exposed their specific sins, I believe he probably just wrote the law in front of them because they were lawyers of the Torah. They were experts in the law of God. And he probably just wrote down a couple of them that he knew that every man in that crowd had broken. And he stood stands up and points at it. He says, if any of you are without sin, then go ahead. Come on. Do you a good, big, old, fast pitch wind-up and go ahead and throw the stone. In the beginning of a started and it quick, quickly dissipated because they knew they had been had and they just gradually, you could hear the thuds as the stones were hitting the ground and the clenched fists opened. The scripture says from the oldest to the youngest, from the greatest to the least, every one of her accusers dropped their rocks and they walked away to the point where there are only two people that are left. Jesus looks at the woman and says is there anyone left to condemn you and I think probably though I can't prove this I think she probably thought well there might be you she probably thought in that moment what are you going to do we've never heard what your word is yet you just pointed to the law and you've shown these people that they're sinners too I know I'm guilty I'm broken I'm humiliated head down Jesus looks at her and I believe he said, in the voice of Jesus, like nobody else can say, with tenderness and compassion, he looked at her and he said, neither do I condemn you, go and leave your life of sin, and you could just almost see the relief across the woman's face as she continued to gather the sheet and cover her nakedness, and grace washed. is about this subject called grace. Number two, rules don't inspire grace. Say that with me. Rules don't inspire grace. Now remember, we're not doing away with rules. Rules are necessary. Rules are important. Rules are critical. But it's not the rule it's the problem. It's what we've thought about, how we use the rule to bring us to God and keep us and keep God happy with us it's been completely perverted and misrepresented and misconstrued. Rules never inspire grace. I was in my 11th grade English class 1978 and Ann Neely was my teacher. Very, very sharp lady. We, I have all my friends and this is an AP English class so the folks are very witty and fast and at most like most at English classes, smart kids, they're full of themselves, and they're 17, and they think they know everything, and I was probably the leader of the pack. Up in the middle of all of it, and clowning, and having fun, and kidding around. Miss Neely was our English teacher, and I really loved Miss Neely. She's a great, great lady, great teacher. And we had been slapped in the middle of, I love literature, I love the stories, I love uh, the comp- comparison of worldviews and because i'm a reader and i know some of you sitting under the 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 message this morning and you're not and you you can't relate and that's okay you we have different learning styles this is just one that i love and i've always been a reader and i love to read and i I loved all the stuff that we studied but when we got down to the nitty-gritty rules of grammar i'm just like gosh lord have mercy and i mean we're we, we, we have sentence trees out, and we're doing this in the 11th grade because we're going to be good writers, and we're going to articulate our thoughts clearly and cogently and succinctly, and we're going to make sure that we break these things down so that they are they're statements with deliberation, they have purpose, they have understanding, they're not misunderstood, and so we're in the middle of, of subjects and predicates and verbs and, and uh prepositional phrases and adverb clauses and jaron what, what in the world is a jaron some of you had not heard jaron in 30 years jaron lives around the corner from me. he's a black brother <laughs> what is a jaron phrase what in the world and so we're, we're doing all of this graphing and we're just all out, you know and just, we're just going can we please get off of this stuff and we're slapping the middle of it and she comes in one day because it was a little bit hard sometimes to control our class Because everybody gets talking and joking and clowning and they're they're around all the time. And so she decides she's going to teach us a lesson on the importance of following directions, listening, and paying attention. She hands us, it was either three or four pages, and this, this is true. She hands us this thing with all these complex sentences. And then we have scrap paper, and we're supposed to do all the graphing to show how you break these things down. And then where they're incorrect, you make the corrections. And then you draw all these elaborate sentence trees that look like messed up family trees somehow. Remember that stuff, don't you? You hated it just like I did. And so she gives us a test, and she says, I'm going to say this one time. Listen to me. People are grumbling and mouthing. She says, I'm going to say this only one time. Listen to me. Read the whole test before you start to take it. That's it name on the test, here I go, and I'm already graphing the first sentence, making some corrections and adjustments, I'm probably five or seven minutes down into it, and I see somebody get up and walk up there and put the test on the desk, and I'm going, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, I'm as smart as you are, ain't no way, in fact, I got a better grade in this class than you've got, ain't no way you got all that stuff done, and I remembered that she said, read the test idiots that didn't. Somebody was listening, probably one of the little quiet little girls over there. So I decided to stop, and I read through all four pages of the test, and the very last line of the test says, all you need to do is sign your name to this paper and turn it in for an automatic A. You do not They see people going up there and turning it in, and it starts to catch on. And, and I, I remembered this, and Kyle Eidelman actually tells a story similar to this. It happened in the chemistry class. This really happened to me in my English class. Anne Neely is now Ann Goss. Her husband passed away a couple of years after we graduated, and then she married Mr. Goss, who's a um, certified public accountant here in West Memphis. And Anne gave us this test. And I'm down to the end of it, and I see the last sentence, and I'm thinking, no. these rules here. i got to keep all these rules. i got to make sure that I've got all this right, and I've got to prove that I can keep these rules and show how these rules work. But then I thought, wait a minute, she said, I'm going to say it one time, and she only did only say it one time, read the whole test before you start taking it. The last sentence said, all you have to do is sign your name and turn it in for an automatic A. And so probably 15 minutes into it, I get up, I'm not the first, I'm not the leader in this, I probably fifth or sixth person in the room who's picked up on it and walked in, turned, turned it in, and then went back to my seat. There were people in the room who worked for the whole hour and got down to the end of it, and they were mad. But in fact, one girl, that is Teresa, she actually protested. She said, I have worked too hard, and I'll I'll take the grade. And a couple of us guys are over there just... So Miss Neely said, okay, I've read the test. She ends up making a high B, but she missed an automatic A because she wouldn't take grace that was being given to her when she thought she could do a job keeping the rules. And it's what happens when fans think, you know what, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to put on a good show. I'll just keep all these rules on the outside. It a kind of a Christian Halloween. We put on a mask, it's a facade, and we, we act like everything is great and everything's wonderful and everything's fine, and we are broken and hurt and bruised and weeping on the inside, though we don't show it on the outside. How are you doing? Oh, I'm just so blessed. And your marriage is crumbling and falling apart, and you're not telling anybody because you think you won't be accepted because you admit you've got some struggles. And God, help us. That is not what Jesus meant church to be about. It's supposed to be a place where healing and wholeness can come. And we can't break our addictive patterns of behavior as long as we keep the light off and the closet door locked. And let me just say this for everyone's edification. Jesus said himself, it's the declaration in John chapter 3 for for." God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And if Jesus' own mission statement is not condemnation, why do we think that it's supposed to be our mission to condemn somebody else? And let me just go ahead and just, just, if there's offense in this, then just bless God, rear back and receive it. There's not a person in the room who hasn't at some time in your life had a skeleton in your closet, and God has not appointed anybody in the room to be a closet inspector to go looking for skeletons. God wants us to take the ministry of Ezekiel and look at the dead, dry bones and call them forth to come alive in Christ. The people in this room this morning, they're hurting because they're thinking, you know what, I I can't let that out. I can't let anybody know that I struggle with that. With all that is in me, I'm begging you, don't let the lie of the devil tell you. Open the door by the grace of God and let the light of the Lord shine in. And when you pull that thing out, it totally eliminates the power that it has over you. When you confess it, when you say, this is my struggle. I sat with a young man in this church this week that we had to say, hey, listen, man, we love you, but we see an issue here. And it was so amazing for him to respond and feel the love of God and know with all of his heart that nobody is here with a bag of rocks ready to accuse anybody. I, I, I really think that if this church door, we ought to have some kind of a, a, a frisking device that you have to walk through that, that sees if you're carrying some kind of a, of a piece, if you've got a gun or if you've got something on you. And I don't mean literally. I'm talking about in the spirit where you want to accuse or shoot or condemn or hurt. Somebody else, we want to frisk you in the name of Jesus and help you put down your bag of rocks and realize this is an atmosphere where we're supposed to love and let the grace of God flow. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Fans try to prove that they can carry the burden The Lord saying that it was. uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's a little uh, very timely kind of a thing in the booth. I like it, guys. Uh, The grace of Jesus. (laughs) If you're in hot water, take a bath, okay? The grace of Jesus saves this woman from being stoned, and it calls to all of you this morning that are trying to haul around a long list of rules and regulations. We're pretending to be more than we are, and we're playing this massive game of cover-up. And the word of the Lord to you this morning, God is like Miss Neely. He's saying, hear this, hear this, hear the gospel. Read through this, and you'll see that there's a gift at the end of it. It's not about proving that you can keep all the rules, that you've got the whole grammatical structure and all of the knowledge of how this whole thing works. But just sign your name and trust to it, and you get the automatic A of acceptance in the gospel. Come on, Jesus says, "Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." And let me say this: This is not just to the sinner who's never met Jesus. This is to somebody who's a who is a a church boy, a church girl. You've grown up in a Christian home. You you go to church camp every summer. Maybe you've learned to fear Jesus and you've kept as many rules as you could, hoping that you wouldn't go to hell. And then when you have sinned, you felt guilty and wondered if you had. Uh, a, a record that was good enough for God to outbalance the whole bad thing. Somewhere you some of you were taught to observe rule keeping, and you never did fall in love with Jesus along the way, and unfortunately became a fan and not a follower. I love the woman sitting here on the corner of this front row more than Air. I love her. We've been together 30 years. We were working out in a little garden yesterday and made a statement. She said, you don't have to do that now. She said, but I know you're going to. And I said, yeah, how many years have we been together, buddy? She said, I know you. I know you better than you know yourself sometimes. Yeah. And we we have some rules. I stood up with her and looked her in the eye on a platform at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas, 27 years ago after we had known each other for five years previous. Presence of Many witnesses and friends, and in the presence of God, I looked at her, and the vows were pronounced, and I said, I do. And there were some rules that I agreed to keep. I said that I would be hers and she would be mine. I said that I would provide for her and meet her needs. I said that I would be committed to her, regardless of for better, for worse, and sickness and in health, for richer, for poor. You know, every relationship, whether it's with a husband or wife, whether it's a boss, an employer, whether it's with a friend— You get excited initially, and sometimes you go through what we call the honeymoon stage. They can do no wrong, and then all of a sudden you start getting little frustrations about things. And you make a decision somewhere along the way. You're going to walk in covenant. You're going to love people in spite of because you love them. And, And, you know, let me just say this. I'm thankful that she loves me. She loves me in spite of some things that have changed over the years, some things that are still part of my personality. Some things don't change, okay? And so you learn to work with. And in addition to the rules that we knew about, there were also some unwritten rules that got established that I didn't know. Let me just tell you what some of the unwritten rules were that I never knew about. They were part of the fine print. We fold towels this way in this house. Now, I, I, I don't know what your mama taught you, but that's not right. This is how we, this is how civilized people fold towels. Yes, ma'am. Rule number two, I don't make fun of her before 10 a.m. Number three, I always say what I'm thinking out loud. Now, I've totally made up the last two rules, but the towel issue is totally the truth. (laughs) What was my point? What is my point in sharing that with you? If I viewed this relationship as a legalistic contract and it was all about rules that I had to keep, then I would be, of all of most men, miserable. But I love this woman more than air. And because I love her, I want to. Doing the dishes and making sure that the seat gets put down in the bathroom and other very extravagant, sacrificial things like that that I do for her, <laughs> I do out of joy most of the time. Are you guys following? All the married people know exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody say most of the time. <laughs> let's, let's try to keep it real in this room. Let's be honest. Okay. And got it together. I've got a great marriage, but it's not perfect. We work at it. My whole point of that is that it's somewhere along the way people begin to identify. In the, in the, end, in the end, grace and the love of God frees us and inspires us to live for him. Augustine, who is the famous African bishop from the 4th century of the Roman Catholic Church, lays the foundation for Luther and Calvin to bring us the Protestant Reformation he is not a works-based guy. He is extremely grace-driven, and he says it this way. He says, who can be good if not made so by loving? Love God and do as you please. I remember the very first time that I read that, 30 years ago, before I really understood any real degree of theology, and I thought, what is he saying? Is he basically giving us some license to do anything we want to? And then I went back and read it again, and I realized what he was saying. Who can be good if If not made so by loving, love God and do as you please. What he's saying is, if you really meet God and have a personal relationship with him and you love him, what you do is going to be done out of the motive to please him. And it's not about rule keeping. It's not about a list of regulations or traditions or obligations. Can I have an amen? Amen. Love God and you will want to. Everything you do is out of the love and your relationship with God. Otherwise, it won't work. My last point, I'd like you, if you would please, to pay attention to this little short vignette.
0: It's not unusual for me to talk to Christian parents who are upset and concerned because maybe a college-age child or an adult child is no longer following jesus and the parents usually want to know what happened they want to know what went wrong that's a hard question to answer there's a lot of different possibilities but i I do my best just to listen to the story to encourage them and to pray for their child but not long ago i was uh, speaking in houston texas and after i was done speaking this big man with this big belt buckle came up to me but he had uh, had tears in his eyes and he began to tell me the story of his prodigal daughter who had left home and had walked away from her faith was no longer following Jesus but he didn't ask me what happened he didn't seem to be looking for an explanation in fact with one sentence he told me what he thought went wrong he said we raised her in church but we didn't raise her in Christ. If you ever go to the doctor and get an inoculation, they give you a little bit of a virus to try and make you immune to the real thing. I think that's what's happened to a lot of fans. They got a little bit of Jesus. Maybe at home, maybe at school, church, a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of rules. be a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of tradition. But one of the most deadly things that can happen to your faith is to have just a little bit of Jesus. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ.
1: If our kids grow up and they define Christianity as keeping rules, then there will come a time where they will be exhausted and they will walk away not only from Christianity, but from church. If you're reading on a fan, you've read about the young pregnant girl. Had the same thing happen in high school. Saw a young girl just absolutely be humiliated. This morning I want to say to you, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your struggle is, now hold that phone. Just recently, somebody sent me a Facebook message, and they said, you know what, Pastor? We've come to victory, and we've been for several weeks, and we've never been to a place where we feel like we're at home like we do in this this service, and we had both come from broken marriages. Both, the wife was sending me the the Facebook message, and she said, we both come from divorces, and then met each other after a couple of years, both being divorced and then remarried, and both of us were turned out by our little small church because they just couldn't make room for us. And both of us had been through indescribable circumstances that, if fact, if I would tell you, you would, you would know the pain of what this woman described it was awful. And in the middle of all the un- misunderstanding and the people well-intentioned, wanting to keep the standard high else had been bullied instead of being loved with the love of Jesus. In Gandhi's own comment, I love your Christ, but I don't love your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Had one more time been proven. It broke my heart. I wept because the husband was so excited about this church. He's dubbed it the Tattoo Church. He said, I think it's so cool because that Guy who jumps around on stage—I can see that he has some tattoos on his arm—and I just can't even imagine going to a church where that's okay. <laughs> now, don't don't get upset. I, if you're a legalist, go ahead. Let me upset you. Let me just tell you right now—I don't have one. But if I thought it would, if I thought it would offend the right people, I'd get a tattoo. And <clears throat> that wasn't the Holy Ghost. That was Dennis the Menace. As she said, we've never felt a place, been in a place where we've felt so much love and the presence of God and the worship. And when we sit under the various teams and they came to the summer and they had different team members preach, they said, you know what? We love it because we sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit about stuff that the Lord needs to change in our lives, but we don't leave feeling like that we are worthless and have been beat up. We leave feeling like God loves us and he's going to empower us to walk through the transformation that we just different, and I wept, I've shared some of these with our staff over the years, how God has given us those testimonies, and in the middle of all the stuff where we still struggle and we have days where I hit a wrong chord on the B3, and I come out here and I sweat so much in the last service, it shorted this microphone out, <laughs> or I get my, my tongue tied and I say something I don't mean, in the last service I said, I love my, so, my wife so much, there is nothing goes those stupid double negatives. I said, in other words, I love her. I'll do anything for her that she needs me to do. <laughs> and, you know, you, you, we try our best to do the, with excellence and put our best foot forward and do get everything right. And some somebody's going to mess up. Sometimes I leave the pack. And in the middle of all that, I believe God sees our hearts. And he somehow gets in the middle of this. We can have the most polished, the most amazing program. And if God doesn't get in the middle of it, regardless, it will never accomplish anything. About how much your heart is open to letting me do what I can do and nobody else can. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, I, I say this. Victory Church is a church filled with real people who serve the real God, who live in a real world. And I want you to know you're welcome in this place. You're welcome to hang around here and meet some folks that are still have struggles just like you do. And that know that they are loved and that God loves you just like you are, but he loves you so much he will not leave you where you are. He's going to help you grow right out of that. If you've been bullied, if you've been taunted by an accuser with a bag of rocks, if you've been to a church with lots of traditions and rules and regulations, but you've never really met Jesus, somebody says, you know what, nobody ever made a big deal out of grace where I've been, and I felt guilt every weekend when I left. I just want you to know this morning that we invite you into a relationship that's based on freedom, it's based on grace, it's based on the love of God, with every head bowed, every eye closed. This message right now, I want to ask everybody this really important question. If you've not heard anything else, listen, I'm going to say this one time. Get to the end of this test before you try to take it and do it in your own strength. Because at the end is a blessing. It's the listening to the gospel. There's a free gift that comes because of what Jesus Christ has already done and not what you do. Cross suspended between heaven and earth, and he took upon himself, he became the sin-bearer and paid the price for every broken law of God for humanity. He came and lived a perfect, sinless life, impeccable in every kind of way. And he was only the just that could suffer for the unjust. He was the Lamb of God, the spotless one who took upon himself the sins of the world. This morning, the very simple thing I'm asking you to do is to recognize you can't take this test the it. None of us are good enough. None of us can keep the rules good enough. We don't know the structure of this thing. Before you jump out there and think you can carry the load on your own, read to the end of this thing. The thing says just sign your name and you'll receive the automatic A of acceptance. Put your name on this, the claim of Jesus Christ. What's your response? He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son shall not see life. Very simple. Where are you this morning? Do you have him? Is Jesus in your heart? Very simply, all you have to do is say, forgive me of my sins, Jesus, come into my heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you right now, anybody who wants to pray that prayer, or would like to be included in the prayer I'm going to pray, would you just slip up your hand, please, right where you are? Anybody in the room? I want to pray for you. Yes, I so thank you for that hand. Anybody else? I'm going to give you an up. Yes, I sit in the back. believers now in this moment of closing this morning, you've known Jesus, you've loved Jesus, but maybe there's a place where you've been and it's kind of become dry, maybe a little stagnant, and somewhere along the way, you've stopped realizing how important this grace is, and you've started thinking that the only way he still loves you is if you keep all these rules. You know, you know you got in by grace, but you've gotten the idea now that in order to stay in, you have to keep yourself in. I believe there's some folks in the room this morning that you need a fresh start understanding that God brought you in by grace and grace keeps you in it's based on everything Jesus has already done and accomplished. Anybody under the sound of my voice, believers, you'd like to be prayed for, slip up your hand just for a second. Yes, I see. Yeah, I see at least four or five around the room. Yes, thank you. I'm praying right now, Father, in Jesus' name, for these who raised their hands at the very beginning. To say they're crossing the line of faith to make Jesus Christ the personal Savior and Lord of their lives. I ask you right now, Jesus, you do the work of the Holy Spirit in them. You regenerate. You breathe life into their spiritual death. Resurrect them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now as they respond and say, forgive me, come into my heart. Change me. Make me new. I repent from my past. Thank you, Lord, that you make me a new person, a new creation in Jesus Christ. believers who raise their hands. I pray right now, Father, for these who've been walking with you for a period of time, maybe some even 20, 30, 40 years, and, Lord, have just gotten tired, and and they need a refreshing, they need a a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord in their lives, oh God, this morning that they would just acknowledge you and just say, Lord, forgive me for thinking that I've got to do it to keep myself in. Thank you that your grace enables me. Your grace bought me, your grace forgave me, and now your grace keeps me. Lord, thank you that you helped them to deal with the areas of struggle, and you love them so much right where they are, but you begin to walk them out of that bondage in the name of Jesus, and all of God's people said. Put your hands together. Come on, let's give the Lord praise this morning, everybody. Yes. We're excited today. If you made a fresh start on the front end of that, and you crossed that line of faith, please take a moment, go to the far corner back there under the Fresh Start banner. There's a handsome young man that wants to give you a copy Abundant Life New Testament. i want going to put this in your hands. It's a great, easy to read copy of the scriptures. We're getting ready this morning. I'm going to